In case we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, my name is Abby and I'm our Young Adults Director. And tonight we're wrapping up this relationship series we've been entitled, Can We Talk? As together we've been studying the book of Ruth. And you know, I've absolutely loved hearing about what this series has meant to you, hearing about how the word of God has challenged you. And some of you even have mentioned that I've stepped on a few of your toes just a little bit. I'm sorry about it. But I can't describe how proud I am of watching the ways in which you have continued to lean in just as you are doing right here tonight. And so as we wrap up talking about something so vulnerable such as relationships, I thought that tonight I would go ahead and kick off the night and leading in a little bit of vulnerability myself. See, personally for me, high school and college were some of the most loneliest times of my life. I didn't have much experience when it came to relationships. I didn't have my true community yet. I didn't really get asked out on many dates. And I felt as though no one knew the real me. And I wonder if you've ever been there. Where you think if someone knew the real me, would I even be enough? Or if someone saw all of me, would you still even wanna be around me? These were the thoughts that I would have. And I remember one day I was talking to God about this. And I said, God, I don't really know what's wrong. Like, I don't think I'm ugly. I don't think I smell bad. Yet why is finding real relationships so hard for me? And I remember God prompted something within my spirit, a whisper that he had been speaking to me since childhood. As he said, Abby, I'm saving you for a redemptive relationship. And that became most apparent my senior year of high school, during prom season, in fact. You see, because three out of more, four of my classes were all female-based, which basically meant that all day, every day, all I heard about was prom from all these girls. And all the girls had dates, except guess what, Jedediah, for me. <laughs> and so I decided there was no way I was going to that stupid prom, and I wasn't until my mom told me that not going was an option and that she'd find me a date. Now you don't need to whisper to your neighbor, I know that's lame, how embarrassing. Your mom had to find you a date. And to make the matters worse, I didn't even like the poor boy that she picked out. He was some football player boy, and I'm not kidding, when we first met, I asked him every single getting to know you question in the book. And not once did he ever turn around and ask me a question back. So I did the only thing I knew how to do, I started praying that he would go away. <laughs> and I said, Lord Jesus, please don't make me go to prom with this boy. And I'm not kidding you guys, a week before prom, he broke both of his legs in a high school game. <laughs> now hear my heart, hear my heart for real, okay? I am not saying the Lord broke his legs. The Lord doesn't do that, that's a sermon for another day. <laughs> but I am saying that the Bible says to cast your cares upon the Lord and he will sustain you. And for me in that season, I was sustained by going to prom solo. But see, technically I wasn't all alone because we had a special needs student in our school named Sammy Tove. And he came up to me and said, Abby, would you be willing to save your last dance for me? Which apparently in his mind meant that we were dating. Because as soon as I showed up to prom, he meets me by the door, he introduces me to all his friends and I find myself standing in the middle of this high school ballroom with all these special needs students surrounding me. They're some of the most happiest, carefree people. And I remember saying, thank you, God, that you didn't allow me to miss this. As the week went by, I showed up back to school. It was a Monday morning and all those girls in my class, they were talking about all the drama with their dates and the things that happened at prom. But I couldn't help but notice that there was this one girl in the back corner 
who had mascara kind of smudged underneath her eyes. And as I sat there looking at her, the bell rang, and as I went up to leave, she said, Abby, could you stay here with me for a moment? And she began to tell me about how much she regretted her prom night. She was mistreated, and she did some things that she regretted, and she sat there telling me just how much she felt this sense of unworthiness. And so as we sat together, I let her finish her topic about how boys suck. <laughs> and then I remember looking at her and saying, but I know a man who doesn't. I know one who never walks away. I know one who weeps as you weep. I know one that always speaks that you're enough and I know one that never walks away. His name is Jesus and Jesus is not second best to anybody. And as I sat there in this moment, this girl just starts sobbing in my arms. And I remember thinking, God, thank you. I don't know all you mean about having to wait for this redemptive relationship, but if it means more moments like this, then I'm all in. I'm available, have what you wanna do in my life. God, do what you wanna do in this place. You can have every part of me. See, there's a big difference between being set aside and being set apart. Being set aside means to be rejected. But God hasn't rejected you even in those times when you've canceled your own self out. But being set apart, being set apart is a God-given placement. To see things that only he could show you while you sit there in the present place with him. And as I sat in that moment with this girl, all I could think to do was to express my gratitude. That when all I saw was sitting alone and being set aside, God was really setting me apart. And this is a theme that we've been noticing all throughout the book of Ruth. A time where judges ruled the land, meaning that these were some of the darkest days for Israel. And yet Israel were the people of God who had been called by God to be set apart from the rest of the world. They were commanded not to intermarry with pagan nations and they were to abolish all their false gods. And yet after day after day, they so often failed in this. It's exactly how we see the book of Ruth begin. Ruth's father-in-law, who's a man of God, who loved God, was someone who was following after Jesus, yet the moment he couldn't see what God was doing, he decided to take matters into his own hands by going to a place forsaken by God, which eventually led not only to his death, but also the death of his two sons, causing Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, to be left all alone. Yet their story doesn't end staying stuck in chapter one's shame. See, Ruth and Naomi, they make a decision to go back to the land of God where Ruth gets a job and she just so happens to meet this godly man of character and kindness. And we see little by little, God starts to build this foundation of a, relation, a redemptive relationship between the two of them. A redemptive relationship that could only happen by God's hand. And God can do the same thing for you. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter even if you had thoughts last night that weren't even of him. With Jesus, there's no story too broken, no life too messy, no sin too great that our God can't grace. See, we see this happening in the text as we've been following this cute little love connection between Ruth, the widow, and Boaz, the man of God. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Ruth chapter four. 
Ruth chapter four, we know in this passage of scripture, right before we open to Ruth four, that Boaz has just made known his desire to be with Ruth. And Ruth has just made known her love for Boaz. And yet they find themselves in the waiting because Boaz reveals that technically due to the culture's customs back then, there's a man that has first dibs on Ruth. Can you say, Mr. Steal Your Girl, here he comes. So Boaz looks at Ruth after they spent some time together and he says, don't worry. I'm gonna make right this situation. You can trust my leadership that I'm gonna seek God on behalf of you about this. And so tonight, whether you find yourself in a relationship or if you're single, or maybe you're just someone that has had difficult people in your life right now, I want us to lean into the word of God as we look at four takeaways we can take away as we pursue the relationships around us. Here's the first thing if you're taking notes, are you ready? When pursuing relationships, remember that the memory of the righteous is a blessing. The memory of the righteous is a blessing. So before we dive into Ruth 4, let's take a little look back at Ruth chapter 3 so we can gain context on what happened. Ruth and Boaz had just spent some time together, and then he sends Ruth home, but he gives her a gift. And as Ruth comes up to her mother-in-law, she asks her, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. So let's talk about what this means. Ruth and Boaz have just spent the night together, appropriately. Because they're not married yet, so it was an appropriate night together. They've just been having some quality time, if you will. Yes, I did just say that. Anyways. So they just had some quality time together and then Boaz looks at Ruth and he sends her off with barley to take home to her mother-in-law. Now, why is this important? Because if we go back to Ruth chapter one, we see that Naomi was talking about how she felt shame and forsaken by God because she said, the Lord has brought me back empty. So what does Boaz choose to do in response to this? He makes sure that the women have all they need so that they will no longer be empty. See, Boaz chooses to bless these women. But notice, Boaz chooses to bless without knowing if in the end he gets to be the one that gets to be with Ruth. He wants to be with Ruth. He wants to marry her. But he is choosing to pursue God first as he pursues Ruth second with an open hand, saying, even if I don't get to be the one that gets to be with you in the end, I'm still gonna bless you. Why? Because the memory of the righteous is a blessing. See, in my dating and in my relationships, I always try to carry around this mindset about how to be a blessing. Because I don't know if you know, but relationships require vulnerability. And vulnerability can be absolutely so scary. Because it's actually letting someone close enough to see the real you and close enough to take hold of the opportunity to walk away from you should they want to. But when we choose to show up to bless rather than impress, it gives us full permission to love without fear. See, Pastor Ben Stewart says dependence on God takes the desperation of dating away. When I'm most desperate to honor God, it frees me to freely be myself as I try to seek out ways in which I can bless those around me because I know that I'm not dependent on you and what you may think of me, but rather I'm dependent on the words that he's already said of me. Dependence on God 
takes the desperation of dating away. So let's get practical. When we date with this mindset, it will not only free you up, but it will also set apart your dating because it chooses to date in a way that keeps its step with the gospel before looking at the ways of the world. It's dating in a way that chooses to consider Philippians 2, which tells us to not only look to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's dating in a way that considers Joel chapter two, where you ask yourself the question, is there a way in which I can come alongside of you and help restore what the locust has tried to eat in your life when it comes to relationships? It's dating God's way, and it's set apart and looks different from the world. Because when you date like this, it fully places the love of Jesus on display. A love that gives itself freely. I heard a pastor describe it like this, fear closes and withdraws, but love risks vulnerability for the beloved. Pride won't tolerate the risk. Lust says, I wanna only use the parts of you that I can use, but love steps in and says, I want the full you. Love steps in and says, I want the full you. And this is exactly what Jesus did for you. It's why he came despising shame and laying so exposed on a bloodstained cross, but he did it all in the name of love because nothing could stop him from wanting to be close to you. This is the love that Jesus has for us. And when you live and lead in your relationships with this kind of point of view, it allows the lasting memory of you to be a blessing. So when pursuing relationships, remember the memory of the righteous is a blessing. But here's the second thing. Are you still with me tonight? When pursuing relationships, remember that clarity is kindness. Clarity is kindness. After Boaz sends Ruth away with a gift to bless, he then goes to seek out the man who has these first dibs on Ruth. And the text goes on and says, now Boaz had gone up to the gate and behold, the redeemer of who Boaz had spoken came by. Then he said, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab is selling the land that belonged to our relative. So I thought I would be clear and tell you of it and say, bide in the presence of those sitting here. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me that I may know. And the man said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz says, well, the day you buy the field is also the day where you will acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in its inheritance. Then the redeemer said, well, I cannot redeem it myself lest I impair my own inheritance. So take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So Boaz is sitting in this temple gate. Let's make it clear, because that was a lot of words in the word of God tonight. Boaz is sitting and he's waiting for this kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer is someone that would come and they would marry the widow in order to take on the family name and land. So Ruth is sitting with this man and he clearly communicates to him everything. He says, listen, there's some land you can purchase and redeem it. And the day you choose to do this is the day you're also gonna get this girl to be your bride named Ruth. Now, let's be honest for a second. We know that Boaz has a thing for Ruth. And yet he's withholding nothing as he clearly communicates to this man. If the shoe was on the opposite foot and it was me and somebody was trying to steal my dream man, I'd be tempted to lie just a little bit. Boaz does not. He doesn't manipulate the situation. He doesn't try to deceive the man. He doesn't say anything negative about Ruth to force the man's hand. 
No, he clearly communicates. Because it's Boaz's character to be clear and clarity is kindness. See, being the Young Adults Director gives me the opportunity to know many of you personally. And we have a sweet young adult couple here that met on a Tuesday night. And I remember when they started to tell me parts of their story, I asked them if I could share a little piece of it because it really lived out what we're reading about in the scriptures. The girl had told me what set this man apart the first time they went on a date is after they had hung out together, they went on a walk. And he looked at her and he said, hey, I just wanna let you know that I really do like you. And I know we just met and all, so I don't need to make nothing official, but I wanna let you know that I wanna pursue and get to know you and only you by taking you out on some dates. Hello, clear communication. <laughs> Clarity is kindness. I just made eye contact with them and that was really cute. <laughs> Clarity is kindness. And it's important to be clear in our relationships because it gives you the opportunity to clearly communicate, which in return gives kindness to the other person. See, Proverbs chapter nine says, where there's no vision, the people perish. And that word perish means unrestrained or out of control, meaning ambiguity, I cannot say that word. Thank you, let's take Jedediah's word for it. <laughs> Creates anxiety. People all the time, you see people all the time, they talk about how stressful dating can be. When really, dating is supposed to be one of the most enjoyable, joy-filled times. But it's a lack of leadership that can kill the joys of dating. Men, we need you to be clear. If you are clear with somebody, it's gonna help that girl not overthink a whole lot of things. And it's probably gonna make her like you a whole lot more. Women, notice that this is reciprocal. See, so often we talk about how we all want a Boaz. We all want a man of God who's gonna be clear. And yet so often, girls are going around sharing intimate details when a man does let down his walls. If you are praying for your future spouse to be someone who's clear and kind, then you need to consider how you can be clear and kind when someone lets down their walls and trusts you with something, even if they may not be the one for you. See, clarity is kindness. And it's kind to be clear and this type of clarity should always be met with respect. Boaz respects not only Ruth, but he respects this man by clearly communicating. And God honors that in Boaz. Because the man says, hey, this whole thing about land sounds real nice, but I don't want another wife. So why don't you go ahead and take my rights for yourself? Meaning God gives Boaz the green light to go ahead and marry Ruth. So this is a moment we've been all waiting for, the marriage, amen? Okay, one clap, never mind. So when pursuing relationships, here's a third thing to remember, cultivate community. Cultivate community. Now, fascinating, I'm talking about community when I just told you that these two people were getting married. But you see, when it comes to redemptive relationships, it always exceeds more than just the two people. And we see that it was never really about Ruth and Boaz to begin with. Let me show you what I mean. The word of God continues and it says, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And she bore a son and the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord, who this day has not left you without a redeemer. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, 
saying, a son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse and the father of David. So when Boaz and Ruth get married, they have a cute little baby. And this baby is not only a blessing to them, but it's also a blessing to Naomi. Because Naomi thought that she was hopeless for this future family. But it gets redeemed through Ruth and Boaz. But what I love about this scripture is before we started the message, we talked about how in Ruth chapter 1, Naomi was the woman who was going around talking with the other neighborhood woman about how she felt forsaken because the Lord had made her empty-handed. And yet here in the text, she's sitting with the same neighborhood woman as they look at her holding the promise fulfilled of her grandchild. See, in your relationships, it's important to cultivate community because the same people who were once weeping with you in chapter one are gonna be the same people who are rejoicing with you in chapter four. We've seen Naomi's story. And guess what her community did too? They sat with her in the weeping and now they get to sit with her in the rejoicing. Because the truth is when you receive the blessing, tough times will come, they will. You're not immune to it. And you are gonna need a community around you to remind you of God's faithfulness that is not anchored in the shifting sands of circumstance. This is why I love weddings. Because if you look beyond just the two people standing on the altar, you see a whole community that has gathered. Gathered to say, hey, we're gonna be the ones that commit to pray for you. We're gonna be the ones who invest money into this thing that you have going on here. And we're gonna be the ones who are gonna celebrate you when the tough times find you, as we remind you of this holy covenant that you have made before God today. It's important to cultivate community around you. These women have sat with Naomi at her lowest, and now they're sitting with her in the blessing. They have seen everything and they are praising God for his faithfulness as they remind Naomi of all God has done. And they do this by encouraging her, saying, see, Naomi, Ruth has been worth more to you than seven sons. So when pursuing relationships, don't pursue alone. Surround yourself with a community to remind you about God's goodness in the hard times and who will celebrate God's faithfulness with you in the best times. And if you need a community, starting right here is a great place. So when pursuing relationships, Here's the last thing we should remember. Remember that God's plans are better than you can imagine. His plans are better. See, Ruth chapter four ended by letting us know that Ruth and Boaz go on to have a son named Obed. And I'm not gonna spare you all the details, but Obed's name appears again in the word of God, but this time in Matthew chapter one. Do you know what Matthew chapter one is all about? It's about the family lineage of Jesus. See, Obed was the father of Jesse, the father of David, meaning that he was the 27th grandfather of Jesus, the savior of the world. Meaning this redemptive relationship that Ruth and Boaz have been a part of has paved the way for the resurrection story that would come and change eternity. And Ruth is one of four women who are Gentiles and get mentioned in the genealogy of Christ, showcasing that no matter your story, God desires for all people to be saved. See, because Jesus does not hold your past against you. So why would you think to hold it against yourself? 
Jesus does not hold your past against you. But do you know what I love about this a lot? This whole past two months, we've been talking about how Boaz is this man of God. According to the church, men should be like Boaz and women should be looking around for a Boaz to marry. And did you know in Matthew chapter one, we get a glimpse into Boaz's family tree as well, where we see that his mother is this woman named Rahab. Do you know who Rahab is? She was known for being a prostitute in the scriptures. Yet one turn towards God changed absolutely everything in her life. And you mean to tell me that this woman who was a prostitute ended up giving birth to the man of God that people still talk about today. So do not believe for one moment that you've sinned too much to be loved by God or by one of his sons and daughters. Don't counsel yourself out for the good things that God wants for you. God is a redemptive God and his plans are better for you than you could ever possibly imagine. To make it personal, I was introduced to a redemptive story around the age of five years old when my dad walked into my life. See, my mom, she had gotten a divorce when I was two. And up until this point, I had never really known what it was like to have a happy home until my stepdad, Tony, came and entered the picture. Now, me and Tony, we were complete opposites. Tony was the life of the party while I was more reserved. Tony was loud while I was quiet. Tony didn't really know what he believed in, but I had this confident trust that I knew who my God said that I was. And one thing that Tony never really understood about me was how much I had this deep passion to honor God in dating, which in return left me waiting for quite some time. And you see, I love love, so I'll always be talking about it. And Tony would say, Abby, you can't talk about love. You don't go on dates. In fact, you're the girl that prays football players away. Don't tell me you know what love is. But I always had this dream that one day God would place a man in my life and I would bring him home to meet my family. And as he was interacting with my family, I had this clear picture that Tony would pull me to the side and say, now I know, I get it. I see exactly why you waited. Well, a few years ago, Tony passed away. And I didn't cry in the hospital room when they told us the news. I didn't cry when I spoke at his funeral. But I did cry several weeks later when I realized that that hope that Tony could see a redemptive relationship through me would never happen. But as I sat with God, I realized that although that dream wouldn't happen the way that I expected it to go, God would do something better. See, he gave me this vision that one day, I would bring a man of God home. And Tony would lean over and say, now I know, I get it. I see exactly why she waited. But instead of telling that to me, he'll lean over and tell that to Jesus. And he'll probably follow it up with, and thank you God so much for allowing her not to settle in her waiting. Amen. See, God's plans for you, they're better. They're better than you could ever ask for. They're better than you could ever imagine. They're better than your greatest hopes and your wildest dreams. God's plans for you are better.
So you keep putting Jesus first as you step out into redemptive moments. Because if the book of Ruth has taught us anything, it's that there's a greater story being told at play rather than just this one little romantic relationship. And your relationship, although important, is not the most critical relationship in your your life. The most important relationship that you have is the one that you have with your God. And see, the same way Boaz treats Ruth is the same way that God treats you. And if a human being can love and redeem an outcast in society, how much more can the king of the world do the same thing for you? The same way that Boaz treats Naomi is the same way that God desires to bless you with more than you could ever ask for and more than you deserve. God is a redemptive God. So my question for you tonight is where do you need God to redeem you? Do you need him to redeem a strained relationship that you have with someone around you? Do you need him to redeem a hope in your life? Do you need him to redeem your purity? Do you need him to redeem how you see yourself? God is a redemptive God. And see, faithful married people aren't leaving people. Just as God is not a living, leaving God. He's a God that places his very spirit inside of you and he stays. And the same God who redeemed his people back then is the same God that can do the same for you and I today. So if you're able, would you go ahead and stand up with me to your feet as we go to our God in prayer? Well, God, we come before you tonight. And God, in the same way we started the night saying that we need you, we just make that our prayer again, Father, saying that we need you. God, we thank you for what you've spoken to us throughout this series. God, I thank you for every single relationship that's represented in the room. And God, I thank you for every single relationship hope that is also here present tonight in the room. And so God, we pray that the same God who can open up the seas, there's the same God that could do a move that could only happen by his hand. That the same God who loved us just as much as he did today, yesterday, and forever would be the same God that we see moving in the lives of the relationships around us. So Father God, have your will in your way. And God, as we worship, no matter the circumstance, remind us that the same God who redeemed his people back then is the same God that can do the same for us today. Father, we love you and we trust you. And it's in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus that we all said, amen.